And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. And welcome to episode number 323 of This Old Marketing for Thursday, May 12th, 2022. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who's not quite 50 yet, but close, but not also making $375 million to become an NFL analyst. Happy belated birthday to my partner, Joe Polizzi. Happy birthday. Oh, well, thank you. Belated birthday. Thank you so much. Yes, not quite 50 Big four nine, we had had lots of uh, wonderful people sending me well wishes. So yeah, it's uh yeah. So how and did you and do you and you didn't get the three hundred and seventy five million that Tom Brady got for becoming an NFL? No, just analyst? just under that. Yes, just under that. Just was, under uh, that. I see. Okay. <laughs> no, it's fun because I'm raising money. We have our hundred holes of golf golfer in one in a day for um, orange effect foundation so i'm raising money for that i did a whole birthday thing people were very generous so that's our biggest fundraiser for orange effect so we're doing that that's on monday so yeah um, anyways yes thank you for the birthday wishes it's uh you'll have to let me know i have to prepare for 50 for next year, so you'll have to let me know what <laughs> well, I need to it's do. Been a, it's been a little bit of a hot minute for me, um, so you know, I'm going to have to remember back to yeah, six years ago. So, uh, you know, I'll, 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 all I'll say is this, <clears throat> which is for me, 50 was great. It was, it was it, to me, it was the, it was the year that I went out to my field of uh, my field of fucks, and I found I had none. So, uh, yeah, it basically it is the year that you sort of look out out, the, out there and go, I am now, I am now officially someone who doesn't just care anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you can afford to care about the thing, the right things, and not about the other things. That's true. Yes. That this is what I mean. Yes, this is You're, what no, I, mean. I totally, this is what I, I totally mean. get that. That's uh, that's an important that's an important place to be, especially today with everything that's going on. It's like you you just boy, no kidding. There's just no time to worry about what other people think about anything. I mean, who who would have figured that we would have come back from CEX and the floor would have fallen out of crypto in the stock market? I mean, it's just like you, you sit here and you just look at your screen and go sigh. Uh, it's yeah, it's a weird time. That's for sure. It, it does. I mean, I've been I've been posting about this on LinkedIn and Twitter and talking about how much this actually feels like 2008 to me. It does. Great it time feels, to launch a business. It, it, great time to reinvest into whatever. And of course, everybody's you know in our little community seems to be focusing on the crypto part, but it's all risk assets. I mean, fifty percent, half yeah, of the Nasdaq of is down more than fifty percent. Absolutely, so. yeah. I mean, and, and, and I saw some statistic that uh, I think it's forty percent, thirty-five or forty percent is down, like seventy-five percent. Yeah, it's. I it's mean, it's nuts. It's and all the big stocks, right? All, I mean, what Netflix is down seventy plus percent. Even Amazon's oh, down. It's great over, company. Amazon's yeah. down over thirty percent. So, yep. You know, that's just. But yeah, I mean, when you see Bitcoin, as we're recording this, you know, Bitcoin last night hit twenty-five. 
it's back up to I think yeah. twenty eight right now as we're recording this. Twenty eight, yeah. Ethereum went yep. down to seventeen hundred. That's seventeen hundred. Oh, that's a, okay. Yeah, right now exactly. it's at two thousand. It's just crazy. It could be down at twelve. Yeah, you know. By the time we finish this recording, it could be up to twenty five hundred or something. I mean, or down to fifteen hundred. You just never know. It's yes. So so we're it. We might be it. I would love to think that we're at the capitulation stage for what's going on in all the markets, but I really don't. I think we've got more to go. It seems like everyone's calling for a global we might. global recession with the, with the stock market. I think we well, you know, I mean, and that's not necessarily a bad no, thing. No, it's right? not. Is a, a a recession is not so to me. What this feels like is very much like twenty oh eight. But the difference, you know, for by the way, for you kids who you know who were coming out of you know college and just coming into the job market you know basically there's a whole there's a whole generation of new workers entrepreneurs out there who have never seen this right i mean it's been you know it's been a little more than 12 years since we've seen it not go uh, up. any kind yeah, of it not just crash like this up. right so we need these things and so, to remind us that this is reality exactly yeah. The difference, the big difference is, you know, uh, you know, and I remember having conversations with you on the phone um, in 2008 and 2009. I mean, we were people were seriously considering putting money under their mattress. I mean, it was it was that crazy at that point. I mean, it was it was scary uh, in terms of the kinds of things that were happening with the bailouts of the you know the home loan companies and the banks yep. and the the number of banks that were just going belly up every single day it was you know 2007 end of 2007 and 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 most of 2008 was just a real you know a real shit show uh, and so this feels like you know it if it, 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 it's ugly but it's not it's not that kind of ugly i remember I don't know if this was 07 or 08, beginning of 08. I don't know exactly what the time frame was, but I remember when Jim Cramer from CNBC, who's always the bull, always is basically his tagline is there's always a bull market somewhere. He came out and said, get out of the market. And I was like, what? He's like, this, you got to go. This is, he says, this is going to be bad. This is going to be ugly. Get out while you can. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. And of course, it was a bloodbath for a long time. And then, you know, you got to 2010, you make it, you know, if you've got a longer time frame, that's why this is great. This is actually a wonderful time for anyone who's younger that has been wanting to invest in an overpriced stock market. And now yep. they have a really great opportunity to get that's right. somewhat reasonable price to earning rate, earnings ratios. So, yeah, well, it's somewhat reasonable anyway. I mean, you know, it, you know, it was arguable about how over overheated the stock market was. And by the way, it's also a good time to remind everybody that the stock market is not the economy. That's right. Um, and and neither is crypto the economy. Um, the economy is actually on fairly relatively, you know, inflation is obviously a big concern here, but the economy itself is on fairly sure ground at the moment. So, you know, well, it's not like, political, you know, you know, geopolitical things going on right now in Ukraine and everything where else, notwithstanding the the economy and our productivity and GDP and all of that is on pretty, pretty good ground. I think it's a really good time to remind people that we are not financial experts. 
That's right. That's <laughs> that, exactly that right. Are, That's exactly this is right. A content and marketing. We are just show. a couple of chuckleheads sitting up in the theater seats, heckling everybody. Well, yeah, I, I do want to say I know we we have a lot. <laughs> I know we have a lot of news to talk about, but at, of course we had our anatomy of a content creator show last week that we recorded before Creator Economy Expo, which was apparently very popular. Well, we got a lot of great, great comments on that show but oh, it was an amazing show but <laughs> if we don't say so ourselves but wasn't it wonderful to meet our listeners uh there were a ton of them at cex oh my god oh we well, love the podcast and of course you and i made the trip out to olive garden which we had to do that's right um yeah it was, just, I, it was I have to tell you seeing everyone so if you're listening yeah. it's so great to to see you in person we appreciate oh my god it was it was humbling it was really humbling to 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 get to meet so many people who who listen to the show and thank you so much uh for that um i literally thought i was going to show up at cex and be like a little fly on the wall and just sort of hang out and observe and and all of that, and the number of people who came up to me and and wanted to talk about the show was just it was again. I'll, I'll just use the word humbling. It was it was really really lovely. I I, I could not have been more tickled uh, and excited. And the fact that it was just a a, a a wonderful event. The vibe was just fantastic, and you know everything about it was uh, was really nice. Um, you know, I mean. I'm not a fan of Arizona, but yeah, you know, but a I'm lot just, of people, I'm you know, it's funny. Say yeah, it. I mean, but you, a lot of people were. It, a lot it, of people were. There were a number of people that said, and I know that you know, you and I talked about the venue. In some ways, it was great. In some ways, it wasn't great at the Arizona Grand. But probably more than not, people loved being out in hot Arizona. Um, so. Yeah, I think. Well, I think people like being out. Yes, I mean that's well. That's the, the, yeah. You know, as full you stop, right? As you walked around, obviously, if you went from a breakout session to the networking. Uh, zone, if you will, you always were outside, and it was mostly in the shade, and people were enjoying <laughs> the it. networking that zone. And I think, I think the other thing is, <laughs> most for most of these people, it was the first time they'd been out in a couple of years. So we were the beneficiaries. I mean, I'm looking at the survey results right now, and I've I've probably done 20 different events, like decent size events in my career, and by far, this is the most highest satisfactory scores that we've ever seen by and it's not well, even close see that and that, that doesn't surprise yeah. me yeah that doesn't surprise i think we're me. getting a little bit of the glow from first time event stuff but it was from a seamless standpoint it was probably the best event we we've run and um yeah everyone was seemed so happy it was it was wonderful i think the close you missed the closing reception you know pam was yelling at me because i didn't want to leave they were everyone stayed. Aww. Usually, usually it really, I mean, it was nice. It, you know, you put that much work into it, and then I expected a handful of people to stay. I, f- I figured people getting yeah. off to their planes. You know, they were done. It was a two and a half day event. They're ready to go. We had, I had hundreds of people at that fond farewell, and of course, at that point, I just want to go around and shake everybody's hand. And say thank you, and get their feedback. Right, you're ready to. You're ready for a cocktail. I was. I had a. I had a. Point. I had a yeah. Dos Equis in my hand as I was traversing okay, the right, crowd, yeah. if you will. But it was. 
I loved that moment. I will always remember that moment because people were smiling and they were so happy. And, you know, you get those people that say you changed my life and, you know, just the same things we hear on the podcast. But you get to see it, yeah. you know, talk to them face to face and I can put, you know, their Discord name or their Twitter name with the, their face. And they really, they, here's this is a real person that's really struggling with content marketing or content entrepreneurship issues. It's um. Anyways, it was humbling is a really good word for it, but I was happy when it was done. And uh, yo, for and, sure, yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, it's one of those things where you know, it's the what is the classic Dr. Seuss line? Don't be sad that it's over. Be glad that it happened. Yes, it's uh, that's a great. Know, it's it's it's, yeah. it's a great. And, and just a reminder for anyone thinking about event: never do an event with only six months to plan. Just <laughs> never ever <laughs> right, do right. it. A lot of you already know. You know and, you're the king of that, though. You're the you're the king of that. Geez, like I, you know, you're the king of like let's do so. Let's write a book and let's have it due six months from now. <laughs> I know everything, but see, I don't believe that with events. And a, to launch a really good event, you need twelve to fifteen months. And I've said this in every book I've written and every every blog post that's gone out. And for many reasons, you know, we decided to get this thing out and launch it in December in a pandemic year. Uh, without you know going out to sponsors that have no budget because they're already budgeting for they've already got their budget spent for the most part so I'm just trying to find any kind of money all right it's just not smart so don't do what I do right <laughs> don't do what I do do what I say but that said I'm fairly positive about going in we've already got a couple sponsors locked up for next year which is a great place to be in 12 months to the event yeah, so just exactly. everyone knows We'll wrap this up and then we'll actually talk about the news. But we are uh, going to finalize venue hopefully in the next couple weeks. It'll be the same time frame. It'll be the the last part of April, the first part of May. But we are looking at different locations and hopefully we'll get that finalized. And then just not Florida. Just don't. It's not going to be Florida. Florida. It's it's not. It's not going to be Florida. We're looking at. I can tell. You know, we're looking at Chicago, Cleveland. Uh, we were looking at Phoenix, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, and we were looking at Savannah, Georgia, which oh, Savannah, Georgia, which I'm sort of leaning towards Savannah, Georgia. Um, I, you know that I have it's a little hard to get. It's a little hard to get to, but you know, but then again, so is Cleveland. So well, yeah, I know, mean, actually, Cleveland's a little bit easier to get to if you look at the. Yes. The flights. Yeah. Then the flight schedules. Yeah. But you know. Yeah. True. I'm you know I'm partial to what's going on with the Savannah Bananas. I'd like to do something in relation to that. They have a brand new convention center that's open. Um, oh, there you go. Got, there's a lot of things going for Savannah right now. But but again, I I mean, if we're just talking about ease for us, I mean Cleveland would be the best place to have it. But um, who knows? We'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. It's up to the people. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, there you go. There you go. It's up to the people. It's up to people That's, that there you go. are not named There's Joe your Pulitzi. tweetable moment, folks. It's up to the people. It's up to we had market last week. We had marketing is marketing. And then this week we have it's up to it's the people. It's up to the people. Um, All right. Should we, should we do some news? I don't know. That's probably a good thing. I mean, we have a lot of news to talk about. I mean, you know, here's what's coming up on the show. Uh, for those of you who are are, are are figuring out whether you want to continue listening for in the next 45 minutes, um, 
the we're going to talk about earning seasons in the media world for sure. Uh, but specifically, we're going to talk a little bit about how the New York Times and Disney uh, are bucking the trend of every other media company, it seems, and doing really interesting things. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the debate about whether NFT sales are flatlining or not. Um, a article in the Wall Street Journal seems to think that NFT sales are uh, turning up belly up, and another article says, nope, that's absolutely wrong, and so we'll sort through some of that with Joe and I. And then we'll talk a little bit about Instagram's news, that they're going to start testing content creators uh, being able to create NFTs uh, and actually add that right into the Instagram feed. That news came out this week. Uh, And I'm going to rant a little bit about an article in Marketing Week on personalization uh, and why they say personalization not only doesn't work, but even if it did work, it would be useless anyway, which is just stupid, but um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. And then uh, Joe is going to actually rave about something that Starbucks is doing. He's got a venti uh, vent, as it were, on all the wonderful things that Starbucks is doing. You know, See what I did there? Here's the thing with my, my – first of all, I love Starbucks. I'm sorry, yeah. I do. I when when I get a chance, I'll go to a local coffee shop. Don't get me wrong, but I do love. I'd much rather you go to a Starbucks and have your food rather than these, you know, flaming hot chili burger, fried cheese things that you're doing all the time. It's it's. I, I I'm concerned for your health. That but was yeah, only Starbucks is fine. the Big Mac deal. That that was the most amazing deal. No, was the on the planet. It was the, Big Mac deal, and it was some other the Ar- Arby's you went to, and you actually you you frequent Arby's so often you know the logo subtle changes, and it's don't a, get me started a, on it's, Arby's it's real, branding. Please yeah, don't. I'm gonna have to I, have an intervention with you. A fast food intervention. But I do have to say, <laughs> so I do. I always do the call or the the uh, app ahead order system so that I can just walk into Starbucks and get my coffee or whatever the case is. But I of cannot pay regular dollars with it it has to be a gift card so i will actually so so it's funny like i won't if i don't have anything on my gift card no coffee for me Uh, you'll buy more you'll buy more in your gift card just no 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 no, I, i don't do it i won't but what happened is since i just had a birthday i had a couple of wonderful gift card you know people give me gift cards so now i'm really good to go for a long period of time on my Starbucks. For your Starbucks. Okay. Because for a while there, Good for- I couldn't get my latte because I, yeah. had no, I had no dollars on my Starbucks app. Anyways. I see. But I digress. Let's go. You do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. let's do this. <laughs> let's go. We're going to open here with uh, two media stories. You know, uh, the last, as we just talked about, uh, it is earnings season, uh, and we have seen quite a few companies fall flat on their face, and a number of values we just mentioned come out of the NASDAQ and uh, the Dow Jones and so many different indexes. Um, and media companies have been no exception to that. Netflix sort of sucking all of the air out of streaming media uh, with its decline. Um, and, you know, analysts and, and pundits alike can't shut up about the fact that, you know, streaming media is dead and there's no way to feed all these things and subscription media is dead and all these things. But New York Times and Disney sort of bucking the trend here uh, in their earnings uh, calls. And the first one, we'll pair two stories here together, one from Axios, which talks about the New York Times, who has has said that the Wordle acquisition, which, of course, we covered on this show, added tens of millions 
of new users and 193,000 new paid subscribers. The article opens up by saying the New York Times on Wednesday reported its second best first quarter subscription growth since introducing a digital subscription in 2017, thanks in part to the acquisition of The Athletic and Wordle in January. Executives may remain bullish that the Times will be able to meet its new goal of 15 million subscribers by the end of 2027. Investments in the company's core news product, lifestyle products like its cooking, games, and audio subscriptions, as well as its subscription bundle, will fuel that growth. CEO Meredith Copet Levin said that the company intends to begin to introduce the Athletic into the Times subscription bundle in the back half of this year. Yes, but, says the article, the acquisition of The Athletic resulted in a year-over-year loss in operating profit, which was expected, which The Athletic cost $6.8 million in the first quarter. The article goes on to talk a little bit about uh, Wordle and um, basically how it has really driven not only new sort of users, but as well as new subscribers uh, as well. So uh, we'll pair that, of course, with the Disney story, which uh, is also really wonderful, also coming from uh, Axios, and it's Disney tops 200 million subscribers across all streaming services, uh, meeting Joe Polizzi's prediction that Disney was going to crush it uh, a couple of years ago, and they are crushing it. Disney is quickly closing in on Netflix's long-established streaming lead. That's an amazing statement right there. The entertainment giant has now 205 million paid subscribers across all of its services globally, while Netflix has 221 million. The company missed revenue expectations due to a $1 billion impairment charge from early termination of some licensing agreement. However... Uh, they are growing subscribers at a at a blistering speed, and the article goes on to talk through some of the financial uh, situations there with Disney, ESPN Plus, uh, Hulu, uh, and live and and uh, video on demand. What do you think about this? What do you what do you think about the what we're seeing from some of these sort of ancient antique companies sort of, you know, eating the drinking the milkshake of some of these newer startups? Well, it's interesting. Let's talk about Disney first. It's clear that Disney has all the advantages in the world because of their diversified revenue and profit streams and their and yeah. their IP that they can leverage in multiple ways. What's what's in, it's the article that that you just talked about with Disney basically talks about they minimally said what they said they're going to drop their 33 billion dollars to 32 billion dollars in investment in their content for their streaming networks that will go down further i believe if i'm in a predicting mood netflix's will go down as well they'll all go down across the board because there's no way that these companies can keep investing that type of money into it because they're not going to get it out right. there's just of too course. much competition right now yeah, uh, consolidation is consolidation, coming, sure. and you got to remember too. I mean, Disney is doing well, but their uh, average revenue per user is so much lower than Netflix. But Netflix is what, like fourteen or fifteen bucks per user, and Disney is like five or six. Which, yeah, Disney has always been the lower price. They came out that way. They did a lot. But of this deals. is a side hustle for Disney. This is not their main business, like Netflix. Well, we we have talked about this because they they've lacked integration for a long time with with Disney Plus if for some reason they decide to match up all the data they have and start for example selling me you know Mandalorian tchotchkes <laughs> because they've got my email address and they know that I love the Mandalorian <laughs> things are going to look I mean it's going to get really pretty for them 
it's it's already i mean it's already a great business model disney is one of the greatest companies sure on the multiple revenue models what do, you well, know what's not to love like disney, right? and I mean, everyone knows i mean i have the disney business model from 1959 in my living room that i continue right. to look at all the time about how you run a media company so there's that on the uh wordle new york times again i think we, we focus on the Wordle acquisition, which is great. My number one thing on here is I still think there's a huge opportunity in acquisitions, probably now more than ever before. But you, what you have to realize with the New York Times is it's not all about digital subscriptions. Those are doing great. But their print, the lost at the very bottom. Did you read that revenues from advertising grew 20%? Exactly. And print advertising yep. is was up? I mean, this... I just think it's phenomenal to that depending on where things are going, a business model like the New York Times is able to catch revenue where, oh, okay, streaming's down or digital's down or NFTs or whatever, depending on what's in vogue at the time, they can catch revenue because they've got, they've got all the spokes. They've got every one of them. Well, this is something that you and I have argued for for a long time with this whole multiple you know i mean it really comes out of the idea of content marketing and and what we talk about in killing marketing which is the multiple revenue streams and the multiple efforts of acting like a media company gives you synergy that quite honestly is really hard to define you know i mean how many times have we had the argument about how launching a print magazine uh, if you're a small company, might not look at its surface like the print magazine may actually lose a little bit of money or be flat in terms of profitability. But the benefit that it gives to your online digital media business or the number of people that attend your event or the number of people who sign up for consulting or education more than makes it a profitable arm of your of your business. And that is, you know, that's just a function of of you know, I mean, I've told the story on this show before about marketing, where, you know, the CFO of a company that I that I did a lot of work with, when they launched their first marketing program ever, after having been in business for like 20 years, and simply being a sales oriented business, and then went in and actually hired some marketing people did some ad campaigns, did all, you know, did a blog, did a email campaign, did some advertising, did some PR, and basically did all these things. And then a year later, found that they grew by, you know, 400%. And then the CFO goes, where did it come from? I want to know which tentacle it came from. And basically, after they did the entire analysis, they found out that any one of those tentacles didn't work or were flat or were sort of, you know, okay. But it's all the tentacles together that made marketing help the company grow. And that's the key. It's an integrated strategy. And that's what's so magical about the media business is that it, 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 it can, you can set up a wider net to catch all that revenue because the brand increases, because the trust in the brand increases, because the perceived growth in subscriberships drives advertising, advertising grows you know, better subscriptions. It's just, it's all a thing that works together. And it's same, you know, same thing for this podcast. We were just talking about it, right? I mean, how many people went to Creator Economy Expo because they listened to the podcast? Now, how are you going to show right. that? How do you show that? I don't necessarily have. I I have a list of. Oh yes, uh, this attendee uh, said that they listen to the podcast, that they um, they download the newsletter and read the newsletter every issue, and I can sort of match up that data, whatever. But I can't point directly and say, oh, they listen to the podcast and they definitely spent money on this. I can't. 
but you can you can start to right. look at some of the trends and say, wow. Because remember when and we talked about this a lot, and I think we talked about it in Killing Marketing, where for Content Marketing Institute revenue, we knew that our best subscribers, those that paid the most, actually did at least three things, and it didn't matter which three things it was. Did they? Right. Did they? That's right. Did do the webinar series? Did they do the Twitter chat? Did they listen to the podcast? Did they uh, subscribe to the blog? Whatever. We just knew that three was our magic number. So it's just, yeah. and, and so now if you go back to these stories, Disney and New York Times, because they have all, I mean, because they're, they're in diversification mode. It's not like you're a YouTuber or you're a newsletter subscriber where you really have one channel, you're working on building the base and you haven't diversified yet. That's a different stage. These companies are mature and they can leverage that maturity into multiple streams and then start to see those streams play off each other. That's where Disney really has the the uh the the lead way over Netflix cuz Netflix doesn't right. have well, it. Right. Well, that's the doesn't have That's it. right. And Netflix and and Netflix you know, if it's it's old news now that Netflix is going to evolve into a second revenue stream which of course is advertising and and from what I understand and have read that evolution may come a lot faster than was originally anticipated and in, in fact I've heard, you know, that it may come as as quickly as the back half of this year um, that they'll offer an advertising based model. And if they what would also not surprise me at all is to start to see a real acceleration of Netflix's uh, foray into productizing. Right. You know that, you know, we've talked a little bit about their experiments with the e-commerce store and with their, you know, their merchandising strategy. They're going to have to ramp that up very, very quickly to start you know, getting into uh, physical events, to get into merchandising, to get into all of the sort of areas that, you know, they have a template, they have a roadmap, right? They can look at Disney and the same poster you have in your wall, they can look at that and, and, and be, that's where they need to be too. They need to diversify their revenue because to your point, there's just not enough credit cards in the world to support, you know, growth forever into, you know, a $15 or $20 a month subscription to Netflix. So they've got to find it somewhere else. By the way, there's nothing wrong with focus. I mean, Netflix. Of course not. Well, of course not. Yeah, Yeah, they've they've, they proved that they were they did amazing. Right. But it's funny how now looking back and hindsight is 2020 and we could do Monday morning quarterback all day long, but they waited too long to diversify. They they already had that advantage two three years ago, and if they would have started to acquire some of these small diversification opportunities, like Disney has done, like New York Times has done, they just didn't do it. Well, now they're going to play catch up and say, "Oh, we got to do the ad thing," and so you're going to see all sorts of new products come out of this. I think it's an interesting thing because one of the th- and I talked about this in my uh, uh, in my CEX presentation about. Uh, Netflix and their strategy, which if you look at the top shows on Netflix, like what Netflix considers to be a top show, and there was some re- oh, wonderful good, research yeah. done by Variety Magazine that then uh, uh, their research department that showed this. Historically, since literally 2013, when they really dro- started to drop original programming like you know House of Cards and, and all of that, the way that Netflix has determined the top 10 shows or the top 20 shows... Uh, is number of hours consumed in the first month. 
And so if you look at a show like Squid Game or you look at a show like what you consider to be the biggest hits of, that, that are Stranger on Netflix. Stranger Things or whatever, right? Stranger yeah. Things, all those things. Most of, the, and, and in the case of Squid Game, for example, 70% of all views of, net, of Squid Game came in the first month. And what does that tell you? Well, what it tells you is, is that people, a lot of people were into Squid Game for its premiere and then gave up on it. And that has been Netflix's strategy for the last almost 10 years, which is they don't care about longevity of any show. They only care about the launch of any one show so that it attracts new subscribers. That is a, you know, just the quintessential draw line between customer acquisition and product development. They don't care if the product lasts, doesn't need to last. All it needs to do is drive a certain number of new subscribers and you're done. That's going to have to change. That has to change in this world where you can't continue to pour $6 billion a year into new content creation to throw, to throw enough spaghetti against the wall to, to attract new subscribers because they're just not there. They're just not going to care. You have to start building investments into long-term things that will continue to hold subscribers because churn now becomes the big issue, right? How many subscribers are you keeping on a year-to-year basis um, because, remember, the reason that the air got sucked out of Netflix so hard was because of the fact that they lost subscribers uh, and their growth slowed as a result of that. So that's the real interesting thing to me is how the investment in content now changes when you stop caring as much. I'm sure they certainly will care, but stop caring as much around how much this new hot show is going to attract new subscribers versus how do we ensure as much as possible that a show that is actually a big hit, I would argue, something like uh, Frankie and Gracie, uh, which is the only show that has lasted seven seasons. That's, I mean, think about that. The, the longest running show on Netflix is seven seasons. Now, arguably, they've only been around for 11 seasons, right, since 2013. But the idea is, is that the, 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 the investment in shows, you know, when you look at like the most profitable shows in broadcast television, you know, like Law and Order uh, and NCIS, those are, those are shows that have stood the test of time over the course of 20, 25 seasons. And that's where you get your biggest bang for your buck and they become profitable for you. So that's going to be the real strategy for Netflix from a content perspective. Exactly. No, that's a great point. I love your point about the, the most popular shows. It's yeah, yeah those, those the longest running happy days type. <laughs> shows. Yeah, that's right. Really, really, Because really they long. become profitable over time. You know, it's like, you know, when you look at something like Friends, they, of course, they can, you know, in the early days, they, 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 they were an immediate hit. The show was an immediate hit. And then it became such a hit that it lasted and lasted and lasted. And even in the end, when they were spending, you know, whatever it was, uh, you know, what is it, five or seven million dollars per episode, 30 minute episode was costing them seven million dollars. You know, so I think the last season of Friends cost them something like, you know, a hundred and fifty million dollars to produce that season because they just, you know, all the stars were getting paid gajillions of dollars to sit for 30 minutes and be funny and but that was still profitable because why that show because everybody was such a fan and they had such a loyal audience that would stick around would also stick around for some of the other things and that's what netflix has to start to think about is how do i create shows that create such a loyal audience that you can start to trust the other things that are coming out not just because it'll attract new subscribers because it'll keep that audience hold hold the audience that's the incredible part I, you know, 
I think this is it goes with the environment right now, but what you're talking about is just take a step back and look at a wider time frame for everything. We send. I mean, look. Well, look exactly. what we're talking about. What's going on in the stock market or with crypto right now? Look. Look at Bitcoin. Whatever Bitcoin's at right now, twenty eight, twenty nine. Just take a step back and look at it from a ten year journey. And this is just a regular blip. Stock market, same thing. That's right. Just take the long. I mean, there was a big conversation at CEX about that, about how long it takes to get to you know monetization. We talked about it last week. You know, it it takes a couple years to really make this thing work whatever right. you do we would like to shorten shorten success or sh- sh- shorten the your way to profitability or whatever you consider success but it just takes time so even netflix needs to learn these things so there you go that's right that's exactly right all right moving on here let's move on to something that is really interesting a big uh sort of this is a fascinating thing where mainstream media and some of the niche media, you know, just sort of, we talked about on this show, uh, this was like a month ago when we were talking about the value of having a conversation around NFTs rather than sort of, you know, drifting off to our polar opposite, um, you know, sort of field. And it just feels like more and more organizations like the Wall Street Journal are just basically the only time they write about crypto or NFTs is when they want to dump all over it. And the only time that some of the other media on the other side wants to write about crypto is to make it seem like it's going to the moon. And and <laughs> neither is true. Yeah. Um, the two stories we're going to link to here are on either side of this argument. The first comes from Wall Street Journal, which came out this week in a sort of a scathing article uh, that says basically the headline is NFT sales are flatlining. Is this the beginning of the end of NFTs? The NFT market is collapsing, says the Wall Street Journal. The sale of non-fungible tokens or NFTs fell to a daily average of about 19,000 this week, a 92% decline from a peak of 225,000 in September, according to the data website Non-Fungible. That stalwart, huge, wonderful sort of, of course, impenetrable data source, non-fungible, token.com. Anyway, i off on a rant there. But anyway, the number of active wallets in the NFT market fell 88% to about 14,000 last week from a high of 119,000 in November. NFTs are Bitcoin-like digital tokens that act like a certificate of ownership that live on a blockchain, says the Wall Street Journal. And then it goes through, the article goes through with a number of uh, sources um, from nonfungible.com that talk about and show in ever more confusing ways uh, how how basically the floor has fallen completely out of it, and using the standard sort of you know McRib and the Beeple and the, the selling of the tweet of the Jack Dorsey and all yeah, of that is all of the same examples, examples. the ridiculousness of right, and that is then coupled with. Uh, a story that is coming out of milkroad.com that says the headline is simply why the Wall Street Journal is wrong. Uh, And this goes on to then try to myth bust the entirety of the Wall Street Journal article by saying, basically, you know, a myth number one, daily NFTs or sales are down 92%. That's not true, they say, because OpenSea is hitting near all-time highs. Multiple records have been broken thanks to NFT collections like Moonbirds and Bored Ape. Um, They actually show theirs in ETH, not in the number of sales, which is an interesting comparison because it's a little hard to compare apples to apples there. Um, 
the number of active users has fallen off a cliff. Uh, they basically save and pull also, uh, they don't, uh, Nansen is their source for the wallet activity. Uh, then they go on through the, the, the rest of the myth and sort of debunk or try to debunk anyway, the Wall Street Journal article. So where do you come down on this sort of fight that's going on right now that says NFTs are gone, done, floors falling out, that's the end of the end? Uh, or no, this is great. This is that's just beginning the explosion. Well, obviously, if you look at if you look at the floor, which for those people that don't know the floor, it's like the the lowest possible price you could purchase an NFT at. Uh, Board Ape Yacht Club, it's gone. You know, it's been halved, uh, just like Bitcoin has, just like Ethereum, all of it. Uh, if you look at CryptoPunks, the same thing. I mean, CryptoPunks at a time were selling for like 120 or 130 ETH for the for just a regular one, and right now I think it's around 50. So, from that standpoint, some of those have come down, but we've seen. I mean, that what's happened with uh, Kevin Rose's project and Moonbirds is just unbelievable. If you follow that stuff, we don't have to get into detail, but it's pretty an amazing project. Would you look at what Gary Vaynerchuk is doing with his whole V Friends Two launch, and he's got his. Uh, conference coming up, which I think is almost now, like or maybe in a week or something like that. So I, I really, I'm going to take the side that NFTs are fine. You're seeing basically all risk assets down right now. An NFT is a riskier asset. That's it. But I love the innovation that's happening in a lot of ways. And you and I were talking before the show with some of these NFT projects that are going on. We don't even know what they're going to be. We, this is where there, there's a bunch of amazing entrepreneurs out there trying to figure this thing out and see what works and what doesn't. You're going to have some hits. You're going to have a lot of failures. It's very similar to what we saw in the late 90s and early 2000s uh, in in the web. It's very similar to what we saw in 2005, 2007 in social media, where you had every week you had a social media platform launching. And there will be winners and there will be a lot of losers. And you know what? This is okay. This is fine. And I, I, ask, I actually am a little bit tired of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journals of the world just going off, oh, my God, crypto's down. It's busted. It's fake after all. Web 3's just a facade. It's not real. And you get a lot of people that pile onto it. It's like their favorite thing to do when they're just picking that out. That's why I want to mention to everyone that's like, okay, it's look at what's going on with the NASDAQ. I mean, there are some really amazing companies that are down 90%. A Roku, which is one of my favorite stocks of all time, I think that's down like 80%. That's right. So let's just put it in perspective, folks, and just say, yes, it's risk all along. But I will say that, I mean, look at look at some of these blue chip NFTs that are out there. They're not doing that poorly. They just saw this extreme amount of growth and you did get some speculation in there. And this is what's amazing. What's going on right now for everyone. It's it's a little bit coming down to reality. You can sort of pick out, here's some really amazing projects. Here's some really amazing utility that's happening with these NFTs. They're not crazy, crazy prices like they were before. And now regular people can start to look at it and say, hey, maybe this is something that I should get involved in. So I like what's going on right now. And whatever happens in the media, fine. Let them do whatever they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, so here's, here's the the headline for me is things are not as bad as they seem and things are not as good as they seem. Um, and, 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 you know, the truth here is somewhere in the middle for the wall street journal to see here, here, here's my headline for the wall street journal of all the newspapers in the entire planet 
looking at trading volume as a method of a success of a, a tradable asset is ridiculous. That's like saying trading volume is down on the on Wall Street, therefore the stock market is going down. It's like, what? What, 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 what does that even mean? Right? In other words, the number of tra- the number of things that are bought and sold on the market basically doesn't mean the bottom is falling no. out. It just means that there, there's fewer people buying and selling at the moment. There's more people holding at the moment. And so that trading volume may go up, trading volume may go down, the exchange rates may go up, they may go down. There's a lot of complexity to that idea. Like you point out, the fact that you know both the all the cryptocurrencies right now you know are really really down. That means gas fees are expensive. That means trading you know finding a profit for that that NFT that you want to flip versus the one that you want to hold versus what why you're buying an NFT. All of that is changing, right? There there's a whole trend of of the NFTs themselves changing and evolving from being sort of. At, you know, quote unquote, overpriced JPEGs into access tickets into utility, et cetera, et cetera. That alone should drive down the trading volume because people are going to be holding these things instead of looking to flip them like they would art. And so all of these things point to me to say, if you look at all the charts, including, by the way, on both sides of this, they are spiky, they are chaotic, they are highly volatile. And that speaks to the risk that you speak to in the idea of what this asset class is all about. And at the moment, it's just nobody knows. It's not as bad as it seems. And it's certainly not as good as some of the crypto bros out there would say that this is all going to the moon and you should just, you know, I mean, there were, look, there were a lot of people out there that predicted both, that it would go to zero by the middle of, of, of 2022, and there were people that were predicting that it would go to $100,000 a coin by the middle of and 2022. Including me, by the way. Neither, I'm, I was totally you know, wrong. Ne- I totally missed that one. <laughs> neither, <laughs> you know, but it, neither of those things are true, and you just have to, you know, we just have to, I think your, your advice to widen out our lens and say, let's look at this in the long term. There's definitely something here when it comes to ETH. There's definitely something here when it comes to Solana and these being sort of the, you know, bedrocks of development of applications and things that will ultimately provide value. Whether or not the trading volume on NFTs is overpriced, JPEGs goes from, you know, 250000 when I could go buy something for a quarter and now, you know, with gas fees where they are, okay, you can't go buy something, an NFT for a quarter anymore because just the gas fees are t- make it, you know, make it priced higher than that, right? And so that, all of that plays into it and we just need to, we just need to take a breath and look at this in a sane way and say, let's, let's widen our lens and start to, you know, and start to think about this in this in a similar way that we would to any new technology. What's disappointing is is that the Wall Street Journal of all is looking at trading volume as a method of saying that the floor is falling out. That that's just super ironic to me. Th- your point about measuring it in trading volume is really good because it's a horrible metric. Because if I buy, it's a horrible if I metric. Buy, if I go out and buy an NFT, hopefully I've done my research on the project. I'm investing in something. I'm investing in the creator or the project long term, and I don't plan to sell it no matter what. 
I'm holding for right. the long because because I'm assuming there's utility, there's access, whatever. You know, gear, the, you know, whether it's the ones that we you know, we have our own for our never ending ticket. I don't want people selling it. <laughs> if they sell it, that's not good. That means I'm doing I'm not doing something right. So. I mean, it, nobody really it, wants. I mean, you see that at the beginning where it's sort of like you have some speculation, but once that stops, you should really not see a lot of buying and selling necessarily in your project because the buyer, right. the people who it's like own looking it, own at, it. Yeah, it's like looking at your neighborhood and seeing that none of your no no houses sold in your neighborhood in the last year and saying, ah, the real estate market the, has flatlined. It's you know, it's like what? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like. You know, no, there was no houses sold in our in our neighborhood oh my in the God, last it's year. Terrible. Yes, the, we flatlined the mark. The real estate market has flatlined in our in our neighborhood. It's like no, no, no. That's not that's not how any of this well, works. Well, just a couple of things before we go on. I do want to mention because you mentioned it a long time ago, where we were talking about the Board Ape Yacht Club project, where you had concerns yeah. where an owner could take something and you know do whatever they want. I listened to a podcast, yeah. Kevin Rose's Proof Podcast. I think it's the April 24th episode that he did with Gary V. Gary made the same exact point you are. He does not like where they give total IP to the owners because he's scared of misuse. He said exactly what you said. So I thought that that was yeah. an interesting point where you have some of these things going on and of course you're right there could be somebody that really wrecks the whole thing for everyone and that's why he says i want to keep ip because i want some control over usage so it doesn't get out of hand that's right yeah and i see and both he's sides. smart to do that you know because yeah well it, 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 here's the thing you it's just a it, it's just your appetite for risk right i mean that's that's all it is right you know so it's having it's making the conscious decision about what that's going to be you know what I mean? So it's like it's it, it, it's it, the if your gut reaction is to give everybody IP over this, that's wonderful until it bites you in the ass. Uh, you know, and so the the key is to make a conscious decision about it and make it very clear up front about why you're not doing that. And I think, you know, I mean, he shares a great last name. Let's just be. be <laughs> do, do you know his new his real name is Robert? No, really. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, his it's either his middle name or it, it Kevin is his middle name and he changed it. Yeah. By the way, Kevin That's, Rose is I've, the founder of little fun fa- little fun yeah, fact. And by the way, he's yeah, the founder of Dig. Fact. If you remember Dig back in the yeah. early social media oh, yeah. days. That was that was the very first podcast I ever listened to religiously. And then and then Kevin and then when I really started to get NFTs, I was listening to Kevin Rose's podcast. It's changed names a few times, but he launched the Moonbirds project with his dev team and it's really taken off and become one of the most popular projects and i don't own one by the way i've been i but i've been watching kind of how things are working and it's a very interesting project a lot of people are yeah i talked to some people at cex about it and they were very bullish on the whole project so there you go for whatever that's worth there you go all right one last story here then we'll get to rants and raves here just to cover off this uh to sort of complete our circle uh this week and this is instagram this news actually breaking news really because it came out uh, literally three days ago, uh, Instagram has announced uh, that it will start testing NFTs with select creators this week. Uh, Instagram head Adam Oseri announced today, that would have been Tuesday, that the platform is going to start testing NFTs with select creators in the United States this week.
week, starting this week. Masseri noted that there will be no fees associated with posting or sharing a digital collectible on Instagram. At launch, this supported blockchains for showcasing NFTs on Instagram or Ethereum and Polygon with support for Flow and Solana coming soon. Third-party wallets compatible for use at launch will include, uh, let's see, Rainbow, MetaMask, Trust Wallet, with Coinbase, Dapper, and Phantom coming. You know, here's the thing. <laughs> whenever I list out, th- whenever I list out third like wallets, like I have to, I have to do a list of wallets. I always feel like I'm listing out like members of the Justice League or something like that. Dapper and Phantom and Rainbow and MetaMask. They're all forming the Justice League. Or, more, <laughs> anyway. I, I, I was actually thinking more like Pokemon, but whatever. Same thing, right? Yeah, well, well, there you go. There you go. Well, but MetaMask, right? MetaMask. MetaMask. MetaMask is a, a MetaMask. <laughs> and his partner, Rainbow. It's, it's <laughs> anyway, sort of like... Creators it's, and people it's who... Like the, it's like the web, you know, the what What did we get into the, the web two, web one, web two days where we, it was all funky names? I mean... It, well, it was all about space then. It was like Netscape and, you know, and all of that. Uh, you know, it was, it was all like futuristic sounding stuff. We're just old. You know, and it was always, and then Web 2.0 was all about like, you know, removing vowels, right? You had to remove all the vowels and capitalize weird letters to, to, to start your name. <laughs> yeah, go <ahead>. Anyway. <laughs> but I digress. Yes. Um, Adam Mosseri, uh, on his Instagram post, basically announced all these uh, things. And then, of course, they announced all the, the players. I actually went through all of the players that are being a part of the beta test, if you will, here. <laughs> of course, Gary Vee is one of them. Um, the two that were just that just sort of screamed out at me were one is Jaden Smith, which, of course, is Will Smith's son, um, and Gary Vee. The rest of them, there's some really interesting visual artists there. But I was struck by Gary. I was struck by Jaden Smith. There's one that's a clothing brand. So clearly they're sort of taking a wide net at this and sort of seeing what's going to work and what's not going to work um, from uh, from an NFT perspective. And I think this is a really interesting idea. Um, just to our discussion about NFTs just a, a few minutes ago, um, I think this might be a really interesting foray if they start to build in some of that access or if brands can start to build in some of that access, you know, for example, can I make an, if I'm a brand, can I make an NFT that provides subscription to a newsletter or sub- uh, provides for uh, attendance to an event or a webinar? And if I can start to do that, that makes marketing uh, on Instagram, even from a B2B perspective, even more interesting than it is now because, you know, you're limited so much on Instagram about what you can link to and how you can link out to it, you know, link in bio um, and all that stuff. So I think there's a really interesting play here if they make this work. I I like the, you know, trying with a small group of people, whoever those group. I mean, I like the fact that they're testing this thing. It's very, I mean, basically they're talking about digital collectibles. There's not a lot of utility or access right. here. That's it's right. It's just artwork. Um, I have... Con- but here, who's who gets to choose that, right? I mean, that's the, I guess that's the key is like, you know, you're going to... Anyway, I don't, I, well, I, I have some questions too. Like, yeah. I don't even know yet and we'll have to find out, but is this minted on Instagram? Are we using a third party service? It is. Yeah. So, no, so this, it is. This, they are minting it on Instagram. By the yeah. way, and I've got no problem with what Meta is doing here, but everyone should know that Meta wants to build a web three. That's not a web three. That's really inside of Meta's universe. So the sure. more that Instagram, yeah. the more that they can do this and mint their own things as part of their, on their own platform, the more that they can create their own separate 
internet experience, which is what they've always wanted right. to do. And whatever, I don't have a problem with it. Private company, people enjoy using their services, whatever. But I would just say, yeah, just be careful. I, but I do like the fact that it's onboarding some people that are not used to this and they can try it out. All that stuff is really good because you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. Again, we're at the very early and stages. That's, so. And the interesting thing to me is that it's much for me because of exactly what you just said, it's way more interesting to me as a marketing platform than it is a uh, where I'm going to build my portfolio if I'm an artist. In other words, it's way more interesting as an NFT to access to something on my site than it is where I'm going to build my digital, my, my little, you know, sort of gallery, if you will, yeah. where I'm going to sell my digital art. Because totally exactly to that is like, do I really want to build my gallery within Facebook and Meta? Or do I want to build my gallery somewhere else where I own that, you know, the ability to take down and burn and do whatever I want to do with the pictures as I want to. But as a marketing thing to provide access to my content, now it makes all the sense in the world because it's literally just a a fancy uh, and and newfangled ad is what it is. Yeah, it's I, I would agree. I So hats off to them. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. The, is it Adam Mosseri? How do you pronounce his last name? The I don't head know of if Instagram. I'm pronouncing that He's right. He's very passionate about NFTs. Yeah. Very, I mean, he, oh, very much he so. really moved in this direction. Uh, my big concern about their business model is they're getting their lunch eaten by TikTok right now. And I don't oh, know if well, heading so in is this, everybody. I don't know if heading in this direction is is helping them right now. We talked about the difference between focus and diversification. Maybe they need a little bit yeah. more focus right now, the diversification, because of what TikTok is doing. But hey, what do I know? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, that feeds and segues beautifully into our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like, do, do you realize that Tom Brady is leaving $15 million on the table by playing another year for the Buccaneers? Because... Basically, Fox has said, whenever you come over, like it can be next year or it can be 10 years from now, you're going to get $375 million for 10 oh, years. Oh, I can definitely believe it. it. What does he doesn't need money? I mean, he doesn't need money. God, it's what's he going to do with an extra $15 million? I know. I know. It's just, it's just insane he, to me. He, like, you know. He is. You know, here's the thing. The I'm goat. just jealous that I'm not Tom the Brady. Goat that's, wants that's, to the play. Real, that's the real That's the real thing. Yeah. The goat wants to he play. He wants to play, man. Yeah. He's, he's still got that competitive spirit, and he can actually still play. I know. So he should stay out there as well, long we'll as see he about wants that. to. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's different than Roethlisberger. All apologies to you know, well, well, certain people yeah. that listen to the show. Yeah, Roethlisberger, true. everyone knows, yeah. was done. He, yeah. yeah. The well, only, he was, yeah. you know, Brady I mean, Roethlisberger was rode hard and put up wet, you know, a number of times. He's, he's, he's definitely an old man where Tom Brady is not an yeah, old man. So he's, yeah, he's got, he's a very young, whatever. What is he now? 45? How old is how old? 40? No, 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 no. He's 44, 44? I think. 43 or 44. He's getting younger. Yeah. He looks younger now than he did he, when he yeah, came yeah, I know. out of the draft. I know. It's amazing. He, he made, I'm, look, it's it. amazing. Don't take my advice spiritual advice on this one but i think he made a deal with the devil i think we all know this yeah how does that happen there we go so now you know two things folks you know that you should not get your financial advice from (laughs) this old marketing and you shouldn't get your spiritual advice either we need to do really no advice is a is a good thing here this is a this is a disclosure for everything No serious question when you listen to a podcast that's not a financial show or whatever and they all say hey don't take financial advice from us they actually have to put it out there do the do religious shows have to do the same thing? Like if I'm Joel Osteen 
They do not. Do I have to go out there they and say, not. look, they do not. I'm not God, so, you know, take my advice they for do, what they, it is? They, they, definitely, they definitely do. The, the religious do not, definitely do not have to disclose that. And if the, uh, the latest in the Supreme Court uh, decisions will show us all of that. But we will stay away from that particular yeah. topic. All right. All right. So. Are we on rants and rapes? All right. So, do you want to go first or shall I go oh, first? You, you did the intro. No, no, no. Already, I right? have not done mine yet. Let me do. <laughs> yeah, we did. Let me do. We did. Yeah. yeah. So, real yeah. quick, yep. this is an article from The Verge. Uh, you know, another hat tip to Heat Thingwell for sending this out. I did see it. It says Starbucks plans a global digital community around coffee with an NFT loyalty program. Uh, you can read it in the show notes. I'm not going to go into a lot of uh, detail on this one, but for those of you listening to this show, I talked about a year ago about we'd like to see more loyalty programs more rewards programs like starbucks rewards get into tokenization and i think this is a really good first yeah. step i like that it's starbucks doing this they're going to find out what works and what doesn't i really believe that in the near future all these loyalty programs you will be able to take whatever it is it's going to be a token your rewards and you'll be able to move that off for some other value outside the system I really believe that's going to be a thing. I think this is your first step of putting, adding a little bit of true financialization to it. We'll see where it goes. So hats off to them for trying it. I guess they said later in the year that we're going to see some kind of Genesis Mint. I don't even know what all this is really going to be at this point. But they're trying it. I like right. that they're trying it. Let's see where it goes. We'll obviously keep tabs on it here. Uh, but, uh, but we saw this one coming, and I'm glad it's Starbucks. So there you go. Excellent. Yeah. There you yeah, go. That's it. Very go. simple. All right. Well, I have a uh, very good. I like it. I like it very much. Well, I have a, a short rant um, that I will go through, which is uh, an article that came out this week in Marketing Week uh, and got a little bit of traction. The headline here is Forget Personalization. It's Impossible and It Doesn't Work. Uh, the subheadline, as they say, is True Personalization is Unachievable Due to Poor Data Quality, but It's Ineffective Anyway and Should Be Replaced with Creative That Resonates with Everyone. Uh, as I tweeted uh, earlier this week and got a little traction with uh, on LinkedIn and, and Twitter, this may be the worst constructed argument for a conclusion that I generally agree with. Uh, it's just an awful argument it's just it's just dumb um basically the article goes on to say there are two cases against personalization in content and it can be reduced to two simple words says the article couldn't uh because it's really hard um and wouldn't because even if you did have the quality of data it doesn't work anyway their arguments uh, basically say that third-party data is crap, so you can't actually get the right data and good enough data to do personalization, which is just silly at its face because uh, that's you know it's not about third-party data. We, as we've talked about a million times, it's about first-party data, uh, and you can, of course, collect enough data uh, to be able to understand and how to personalize things. Um, these base, basically they you know they they talk about B two B, they talk about B two C, and they talk about how inaccurate third-party data is with things like gender. 
uh, and age and all those things. And if those are the only data points you're using to personalize your content, you're right. You're going to fail. Hashtag big fail here. But the point is, is that you're hopefully using a lot of other interesting data to make things personal in the right way. So it's just false at its, at its, at its face that you can actually make it work if you do this the right way. And clearly these guys have never visited TikTok before because TikTok is the quintessential probably the best personalization that I've seen in years and you never know it's happening. It's just the wonderful it's just this beautiful wonderful thing that happens under the surface. Now, their second argument is ostensibly that okay, even if it did work, it won't it doesn't work anyway. In other words, they say basically the the high price of personalization is it makes it ineffective. Then they use the example of Disney. <laughs> this is just this is a, this is such a crazy argument to me. They make these make the, the the that Disney is the most creative studio that's ever existed and doesn't personalize things like Wall-E or other movies because that would be ridiculous and they're trying to make content that are designed for all children and that's what makes it work. Basically that's what that as they say there's never been a successful piece of personalized creative in human history which is again is just false at its face um, not to mention the fact that targeted content let's you know and and let's distinguish targeted versus truly personalized but we've talked about on this show and I've talked about in many many of my workshops the idea of how House of Cards, one of the reasons that House of Cards for Netflix was such a, an incredibly popular show was because they targeted, based on your content consumption, they personalized the trailers. They made a, a at least a dozen different trailers for different segments of their audience that you would see. If you were a David Lynch, or excuse me, David Fincher fan, you saw a dark, wonderful, moody sort of trailer. If you were a Kevin Spacey fan, you saw Kevin Spacey. If you were a politics fan, you saw a, a, a political drama uh, trailer. All of that is just, they just, you know, this is just lazy reporting here and in terms of the, the ways that this works. The conclusion is you can't personalize, so, but even if you could, you shouldn't do it anyway. It is ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I, I won't belabor the point about what my argument for it is here, but ostensibly my argument is, yes, it's hard. It's difficult to do this well. And it's difficult to do this in a way that is really appropriate. But personalization does work. You can make it work. The way you should make it work is that as you develop trust and you develop a relationship with your consumer, things should become more personalized over time. Maybe it's not till they become a customer. Maybe the only time you do one-to-one -one communication is after they've bought something from you. You need to figure that out as part of your strategy and your data collection strategy and all of that. But the ridiculousness of this article and the number of people, by the way, that are out there uh, saying that it's brilliant. This article is brilliant. You know, they happen to be mostly, you know, people like, you know, cough, Mark Ritson, uh, cough, um, are, is, 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 is silly. It's bad advice. And, um, and so don't listen to it. That's my, that's my, rant. well, it just saved me. Um, now I don't have to read it. So there, that, that yeah. you saved uh, me yeah, a lot sorry, of time. Sorry. I, I did I go on. I did go on. A bit I appreciate about it, you're yeah. always looking out for me and the rest of this community. I am. So that we, we don't have to read the, even well, though it'll be in the show notes, just, but it, we, we won't read this. It will be in the show notes. You know, go, if you want to go, you know, look at something just silly. It's just, 
It's just silly. The worst, they call it the worst idea in marketing industry. No, there are plenty of bad, more worse ideas than personalization in the market. Trust me. There are, by the way, brand advertising might be one of them. <laughs> so oh, it's geez. like, you know. That's funny. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. All right. So what do you got this week? Uh, we, so honestly, we're preparing for our big uh, fundraiser, 100 Holes. Hundred holes of golf Ooh, marathon. Fun. Thank you, Mr. Rose. You've you've Too been a, a big fun. supporter of this to to many of the golfers. I have. Um, I many of the golfers, but one in particular. One in particular. One one, one Pittsburgh Steelers yeah, fan we, in particular. We, we don't yeah, need maybe. to bring that up. I like to I like to bolster that guy up. <laughs> well, he's a, you know he he always tends to wear a costume and all that kind of stuff, so it's kind of he's fun. Done. But. Yeah, he's done really well. Uh, spurred on by by your support so thank you um we do have a ways to go we're still about twenty thousand dollars away from our goal so anyone listening to this don't give to me i'm fine i've had a lot of really good support i did a big birthday thing around people supporting me uh so i don't need it but we have some people that are really struggling toward the end of the fundraiser we have 26 fundraisers everybody's supposed to raise fifteen hundred dollars some people haven't gotten there yet so if you want to help a really good cause all the money that we raise goes to kids who need speech therapy as sort of a last resort method they can't get the funding anywhere else we deliver funding right to the speech therapist we will go through a rigorous process to make sure we approve these people it's a great so we have like 250 kids that we support in 34 states now so this is a really big deal for us go to a hundred holes.info it's a hundred holes.info go to the right hand side under fundraisers go to the end of the list and there's some people that are out there that need some help. And if you want to, whatever you can donate would be really appreciated. We start at 7 a.m. Eastern time on Monday, the 6th. I guess that's the 16th, right? Monday the 16th. And it takes me about 11 or 12 hours to golf 100 holes. And I get slower as the day goes on. But it's a <laughs> lot of go. fun for a great cause. A lot of great people are involved in this, and it goes to a really, you know, helping these kids are just, it, it's not, you know, it's not like I'm doing, oh my God, I got to golf 100 holes. And, but it's really the kids that we're able to help is, is a big deal. So 100holes.info. That's Lovely. what we're doing. It's what? such a great, I, I love it so much. I, I love it so much. I wish I liked golf. I, I can't stand golf. So, um, I, you know, uh, so it's not my thing, but I absolutely love supporting the the effort because it's just such a beautiful thing that you're. It's doing. It's amazing. So, this was a co- yeah. This so, was a COVID thing because we didn't know we were going to do our regular golf outing. Yeah, and yeah, we yeah. did this one, and it's been our, become our best fundraiser. So thank you to. We have 246 donors right now, so including yourself. So that's thank beautiful. You very very that's much. Great. So what do you got going on? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm work, 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 work. I got uh, plenty of client work to keep me busy over the next uh, week or so. However, I am going to be on a wonderful meetup, uh, Dennis Shaw's meetup, the Bay Area oh, Content Marketing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're a great group. Uh, so if, you, if you're interested in attending that at all, I'll give it a quick shout out here. There is a short link here. It's bit.ly. So it's a bit.ly link uh, slash web3 dash rose. I'm going to be talking about web 3.0 and how it uh, really plays into the idea of content marketing, uh, and we'll have a fun discussion on that. That's next uh, Thursday, I think. So, uh, the fun times there. Um, and other than that, yeah, just heads down, heads down, trying to get some work done and get some writing done, um, get my new project, of which I should be ready to sort of announce in an official capacity. Some of you have already found it and uh, done all of that. So, 
but in the next couple of weeks here, I'm going to be making the big announcement and all that stuff. So busy at work on that too. Excellent. So fun Looking times. Forward to it. That's yeah. awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. Thanks to all of our wonderful contributors for this episode. That includes, of course, the wonderful Heath Dingwell, which uh, helped uh, Joe out with his uh, rave at Heath Dingwell on Twitter. Bernie Borges, hi, Bernie, at Bernie Borges on Twitter. Stephen Davis, the amazing Stephen Davis, uh, who gives us wonderful ideas and and fantastic analysis uh, at Wired Disability on Twitter. Alex Chambers, who has the weirdest uh, Twitter handle ever, is underscore hi, underscore Alex, underscore. Not sure why you have the actual last underscore there, Alex. You don't need it um, on Twitter, but God bless you for having it. James Gardner, of course, at James Gardner on Twitter, and Joe Begonis, uh, and who is at the Begonis on Twitter. Thank you all for your wonderful contributions to the hashtag. And that's we wanted that from you. Uh, on this, uh, we'll, you'll get all the links and the wonderful podcast show notes at, at uh, thisoldmarketing.site where you can see all that stuff. But hashtag us up, won't you, on the Twitter? We love getting those show ideas and all of those wonderful conversations that we get going on the Twitter. And you can dive into at uh, this old marketing site, any of our other 322 episodes. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. <laughs>